Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that we can be here today. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit today will have freedom to move in and out of our lives. And Lord, we give you this service, everything that's said and that's done today. And Lord, I pray for if there's one in this auditorium right now that isn't a child of God. Lord, I pray that today that your truths will be made clear to them. And Lord, I pray for the service, everything that's said and done would glorify you. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're going to show a quick little video to get us ready for the sermon. Now, Mr. Pitts. It's a rather unfortunate name. Mr. Pitts. <laughs> Where are you? Mr. Pitts, will you open your hymnal, page 542? Read the first stanza of the poem you find there. the virgins to make much of time? Yes. That's the one. Somewhat appropriate, isn't it? <laughs> Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Old time is still a-flying. And this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. Thank you, Mr. Pitts. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. The Latin term for that sentiment is carpe diem. Now, who knows what that means? Carpe diem. That's cease the day. Very good, Mr. Meeks. Meeks. Another unusual name. Seize the day. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Why does the writer use these lines? Because he's in a hurry. No. Ding. Thank you for playing anyway. Because we are food for worms, lads. Because believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing turn cold, and die. I'd like you to step forward over here and peruse some of the faces from the past. You've walked past them many times. I don't think you've really looked at them. They're not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts, full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. But if you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. Listen. You hear it?
uncommon way to start a sermon, hey? When we were going through our run-through today, one of the people in the band said, that's creepy, that's really creepy. Wasn't the reaction that I was looking for, but, you know, I'll take it. Um, This movie here, it's a motivating movie. It's a motivating movie on not to waste your life. Carpe diem, seize the day. Because one day we will all die. It's inevitable. You have one life. That's it. One life. One chance to do something extraordinary. You know, as I was watching that this week and preparing for the sermon, I looked at the release date on that movie, Dead Poets Society. How many of you have seen that movie before? Okay, a lot of our adults in here. The release date was 1989. 29 years ago, that was released. Does it seem like it could possibly be that long ago that that movie was released? Robin Williams is now no longer with us. 29 years ago. Doesn't seem that long. But you know, James in the Bible, James chapter 4, verse 14, it says this. It says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. We're a mist. Our life is like a vapor, a steam from the kettle. You see it for a while, then it disappears. Often we put off decisions in our life. We put them off until later. We'll get around to it one day. One day we will make a decision. What kind of decisions am I talking about? It's the important decisions, like following Jesus, giving it all, making Jesus not only your Savior, but your Lord. But I want us to think about what else does the Bible say about our life? This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. It says, it is appointed unto man once to live. And after this, the judgment. You see, we're going to give an account for the life that God's given us. The life that he wants us to live. We're going to give an account for that one day. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, it says this. It says, your life. Your life is not yours. It was bought with a price. You see, Jesus paid for her. He bought our life by, by dying on the cross for our sins. Not for only my sins, but for your sins. In Mark chapter 8, verse 35, it says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's sake will save it. You know, before I met the Lord as my Savior, me and my parents, we had a pretty good plan for my life. They worked at all of us. I'm, I'm the fifth of six kids. All of us, they worked really hard to get us where they thought that we should be. And probably my plan for my life 
and my parents' plan for my life was probably like a lot of your plan. My, my life, I thought, would include making a lot of money, having a lot of influence, and potentially an early retirement. But you see, God's plan was quite different. It was very much different from that. I remember the moment that I realized that my life was empty, that these things weren't going to make me happy, and that the only person that could fill that emptiness in my life was Jesus Christ. The day that I realized that, my life changed completely. Completely. My life was absolutely changed. My life began to go in an entire different direction. My life became now full of love, joy, purpose, courage, total different direction. This all happened right before my senior year in high school. I was 16, getting ready to turn 17 in a couple weeks. It was in August, and uh, my senior year, the way that I thought it would go, completely went a different, different way. I felt like after I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, is that he wanted something from me. He wanted, so, he wanted more. He didn't want me just to be sitting in a pew. He wanted my life. And I asked the Lord, why me? Why don't you pick my best friend, Danny Kelly? He's got it all. He, had, he was good looking. He was a better speaker. He knew the Bible. All these different things. Why me? I had dyslexia. I was a terrible reader. Preaching, no way. That wasn't for me. But you see, God was pursuing me. He was calling me. I remember my senior year after football season was over, the youth pastor, he decided to take a couple guys in the youth group to Bible college where they trained um, pastors. And I remember that I got a last minute invitation to go to that. And I was like, well, I don't have anything better to do. Why not go there? I'll check out this Bible college with these other guys. But I remember that night, we are all at the Bible college, we're getting ready to go to sleep that night, the lights were off, and the youth pastor began to talk when the lights were out. And he started calling the guys by name that were with me. And he would say, Doug, this would be a great school for you. John, God's going to do some great things through your life. In that late night conversation in the darkness of the night, my name was never included in that conversation. And I laid there and I was thinking, you know when you think and you're praying at the same time, but I was laying there thinking and praying, God, could you use me? I'm hearing the youth pastor talk about God using all these other people, but could you use me? I had so many reasons why 
the Lord couldn't use me. But a week or two rolls by, and we're back home. We're back in our home church. It was a Baptist church, and they had Sunday night service. Remember when churches had those Sunday night services? So they're having a Sunday night service. I roll in with all my high school buddies. I roll in with my high school girlfriend. And the preacher's preaching. And I mean, he is preaching. He's preaching on Jonah. And the, the text was on how God could use even a disobedient prophet. And he was preaching. And just as usual, he would have the altar call. And I remember that night, just like it was yesterday, I usually went down to the altar because I had so many sins in my life, and usually uh, the biggest sin was sitting right next to me. And uh, so anyway, I remember going down to the altar, and I hit the altar that night, and my prayer was a little bit different. My prayer was this, was, here's my life. It's yours. I've been fighting this for a while, but my life is yours. But my prayer went a little bit deeper. And the prayer included this is, if you can use me, I'm willing to pay any price. Poverty, loneliness, anything, God. You get the glory, not me. Any price, I will pay it. Now, those kind of prayers are not your casual prayers. Those are kind of prayers that God answers. And he responds to. Those kind of prayers take you from the casual and it catapults you to a place where you don't even know where this prayer is going to take you. I told the Lord that night that I didn't have much compared to all these other people. I didn't have talents. I didn't play an instrument. You know, I didn't know much about the Bible. I wasn't a good speaker. But I will give you all that I have. I will give you me. As I started to know a little bit about the Bible, I started to realize is that there was like these parables in the Bible, stories with deep, deep meaning. But one of them was about this guy who went off to a distant land and he was letting other people take care of his property, his valuables. It was called the parable of the talents. And he gave one guy five talents, he gave another guy three talents, and he gave one guy one talent. I felt like I was the person that was given one talent. I didn't have the talents that these other people had. But I did, I, I did understand the passage. And the passage is, if I was faithful with the one, then God would give me more. And so that was what I was determined to do. I was determined to make my life an offering. An offering. 
You know, in the old days, remember when we used to pass plates around? In some churches, they still do it. But they pass a plate around. And as they pass the plate around, what's one thing that you would never imagine doing? As the plate was coming by, you would never imagine just taking a handful of money and putting it back in your pocket, okay? I've thought about it, but I never would do that. But I thought, you know, it's like, this is my life. Can you imagine if we had, instead of the altars here, if we had it shaped like an offering plate? Man, that's got a shine to it. I could get right in your eyes. See that? Okay. So, um, our life as an offering. The thing about it that I would like to ask you is, is giving your life as an offering to Christ a one-time thing? Is it a one-time thing? Or is it something that we need to do daily? I believe for me, if I'm a living sacrifice, I have a tendency to want to crawl out of the plate. I have a tendency to want to do my own thing, especially when life gets hard. And I believe it is daily. In Matthew chapter 16, and verse 24, it says, take up your cross and follow me. That's a daily thing. As a living sacrifice. My biggest regret in life was the summer of 1993. You're like, wow, man, that's a long time ago. That's 25 years ago. You're bringing back something that happened 25 years ago? Well, let me tell you about that summer. That summer, I took 60 teenagers to Africa. And we went to Kenya, after Africa. I took a gymnastics team because we were state champions, national champions in Odessa, Texas. I took a drama team, I took a tech team, and I took a singing team. We were like commandos for Christ. We had our uniforms, a different one for every day. We went there, we had our sound equipment, we were ready for this. And everywhere we went, there was crowds. Like I had never seen before. We would get out of our bus and we start unloading. And next thing I know, no kidding, every time there would be at least 1,000 people. Sometimes there would be 5,000 people, 10,000 people. I'm not exaggerating at all. And God was at work. Like I had never seen him at work before. Big time. There were so many people being saved, right and left. And so, as we were going along, I really felt like I could be, I could stand underneath a tree in Africa and just start reading my Bible, and next thing you know, there'd be a hundred people listening to me read the Bible and receiving Jesus Christ as Savior. I'm not kidding. That's exactly the way it was. So we decided that we're going to really make it hard for people to accept the gospel. We're going to make it really hard on these invitations. And so we weren't going to do this mass invitation, come one, come all kind of thing. What we were going to do is we asked these 60 teenagers at the end, we're going to give each and every one of you a chance to share with someone. 
one-on-one. -on -one. And so we had 60 people who were doing a show, a performance, a presentation of the gospel. And after every time that we would present, 40 of the 60 would lead one person to the Lord. Amazing things were happening. We were doing this three times a day. So there'd be 120 people receiving Christ every day. We were there for 18 days. We'd fill out a card, get all the information so our missionaries could follow up on them. After 18 days, over 2,000 cards. Now, on one of those days, we were doing an agricultural fair. And there was probably a crowd of 15,000. And, you know, we were just doing the same thing. We're in a rhythm of what we're doing. I have the National Gymnastic High School Championship Gymnastics team. And we were starting to, we had this vault in a, a mini tramp. And we were loading Kenyans on that tramp, I mean, on, on that vault. And they would get... We're like, who would like to come up here and volunteer? And we would stack them higher and higher and higher and higher on this vault until there was like 20 people on this vault and my gymnastics guys would jump and do flips over top of them. It was incredibly entertaining to watch. And then we would present the gospel. Well, one day we're done and we're at this agricultural fair and this really important man comes up. And he says, I would like to talk to you. I'm like, fine. You know, we're loading up the equipment. We're getting everything ready to go for our next thing that we're doing. And he tells us, he says, the president of Kenya is in the audience today. We're like, wow, we didn't know that. That's great. And he said he would like to invite all of you to come to dinner tonight at his house. We're like, all of us, like in all 60 of us, are just our leaders. And he said, just the leaders, just the adults. And we're like, okay, we'll, we'll try to find something for the students to do while we go to your house. Gigantic privilege. I mean, we're sitting at the, at the table with the president of Kenya. I'm having, I mean, they're all the silverware was going all the way out here. I mean... The plates were trimmed in gold, and, we're, and I was like, I'm going to sit right next to them. I just want to soak all this up in the moment. And so anyway, we're doing, we find out that he is a believer, and he invites us to come to his church the next day. We look to the missionary who we're helping out, and we know that we already have something for tomorrow. And the missionary is like, do it. And we're like, okay, we'll, we'll come to your church tomorrow. We knew that the missionary was going to have to cancel something, but we'll come. So we go to his church, and it wasn't an, your normal speaking church. I mean, it was a church like ours, except newer and better. I mean, I mean they, had, they had technology even back then that we didn't have. And so anyway, he's like, this is my church these students in this room, there was like 1,200 students. He said every one of them, um, they passed this test and they had perfect scores on their test. 
to come to this school. This is a four-year boarding school for the best students in my country. It was for the gifted and the talented. And so anyway, he shows us around the school, and as we're walking around, he says to me, he says, Dan, if you really want to make a difference in our nation, then why don't you come and pastor this campus? These students will be the people that will be leading my country in the next 15 to 20 years. These are the finest. These are the best. And he said, see that house right there next to the nurses? I'll give you that house for free that you can live in. And for some reason, instead of just saying yes, I said the typical Christian thing. I'll pray about it. And 25 years later, I still regret it. I still regret that because of my fear, because of all the different things that Kenya represented to me, being alone, being away from family, being away from my friends, being out of my comfort zone, that I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I had the opportunity of a lifetime. But I stepped out of the plate. And I remembered that I told God what? I would do anything. I would do Anything. You see in life, obedience, it brings blessings. Disobedience brings conflict. I went back to Odessa, Texas, and because of my own disobedience, the youth group just stepped Falling apart, falling apart, falling apart. Because God wasn't blessing. He wasn't blessing. I was doing things in my own power. And in 35 years of ministry, I found that the most miserable Christians that I have met are those that are living in disobedience. They're, they're miserable. And maybe you're one of them right now. I know I was. I was because I got out of the offering plate. On vacation last week, I was reading uh, John Piper's book. And it was his book, Don't Waste Your Life. The first chapter, he talked about his father. I didn't know all this stuff. It was really the first chapter really grabbed me. The second, third chapters weren't so much. But the first chapter was worth reading it. The first chapter was about his father. And his father was an evangelist. And John loved hearing his father preach. And his father would preach this one sermon. And the one sermon was this. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. 
And one day he was preaching, and he was preaching it up. A st- and I could just hear it in my mind. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. And as he gave the invitation, an old man came forward. And as he came down the aisle, he was sobbing. And he was saying, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. Sobbing, tears rolling down his eyes. I have wasted my life. You know, John said in the book, he says, it is better to lose your life than to waste your life. Dying is not tragic, but wasting your life is. Now, when I was single, which I didn't get married till I was 33, when I was single, I liked living alone. I did not like having roommates. And the reason I didn't like having roommates was this, is I'm a clean freak. I like things clean. And I had a two-bedroom apartment, and the church just brought on a new guy to do music. And he needed a place to stay till he got on his feet financially. And against my better judgment, I said, Kevin, you can go on, you can live with me. Kevin was a pig. He was a pig. There's no other way to put it, but he was a pig. Now, he would do this one thing that would drive me crazy. Everything in the house was mine. Okay, he was just staying there. And he wasn't even paying rent. He was just staying there. But he would make macaroni and cheese because he was a pig and he was, didn't have any money. So... He would make macaroni and cheese in a pot. And then he would go sit on my couch with my pot and with my utensils. He would eat the macaroni and cheese out of the pot. Drove me crazy. Why don't you use a bowl? You don't eat out of the pot. That's just not what normal people do. So he goes, and when he's done with his macaroni and cheese, he, whatever he had left, he would put it back in the refrigerator. Drove me nuts. Next thing you know, the pot started growing hair. <laughs> and the hair, had, the hair was longer than Kim Kardashian's hair. It was just coming out of the pot. I remember one night I was thirsty. I come on down to the kitchen from my bedroom and open the, the, the cupboard and I reach for a glass and there was no glasses in the house that were clean. They were all dirty in Kevin's room. And I thought to myself as I thought about the situation, I thought, I wonder if that's ever how God feels. You think, well, that's really weird. You go from Kevin to how God's feeling. But I I wonder if God ever feels, if God is like looking through the cupboard of humanity and he's looking for a clean vessel that he can use. And he doesn't find one. Just looking for a clean vessel that he can use. The famous missionary C.T. Stubbs, he says this, only one life, only one life will soon be passed, 
Only what is done for Jesus will last. The people in life who've made great differences in life, they aren't masters of many things. They're masters of one thing. And only what is done for Jesus will last. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 and 38, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. John Piper, he preached at the first Passion Conference. And he talked about what a tragedy was. And he was talking about these missionaries that were 80 years old doing medical missions. And they were in some country in Africa, I think Tanzania. And the brakes went out on their car. And they went over a cliff to their death. And he said, is that a tragedy? He says, I'll tell you what a tragedy is. He said that he had read a Reader's Digest article. And it was a story of a couple who had retired early in life. And they spent the rest of their life collecting seashells. They had a seashell collection. Can you imagine coming to the end of your life and boasting about your shell collection? In Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, it says this, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, you have one life to live. One life. That's it. We have one life to live. It's not about collecting shells. It's about doing something for Jesus. I believe that if you're not ready to die, you're not ready to live. I remember when I was 22 years old and I was working at Liberty University one day I was working at their camp in the summer. School was about ready to start in a couple weeks. I had nothing on my mind but showing off. I was 22 years old. I was in charge of the water activities, and we just got this new piece of equipment. It was called a surf jet. It was a fabulous thing. It was a little surfboard about this long, and it had a tether on it, and as you squeezed the the lever, whatever it was called, you would go faster. And so anyway, I'm in charge of the water activities, and I'm getting better and better with this thing by the day. So the first two days, I hadn't fallen off of it. I was quite good at it. And so the third day, a friend of mine had used it before me, and he said, hey, you should try it with your high-top tennis shoes on, because I just tried it with mine on, and I had so much better traction. You could do all these quick turns and stuff like that. So anyway, I go out there on this day, and it was a day that I just wanted to show off, I'll be honest. 
That day, I did not wear a life jacket. I had my high-top tennis shoes on, and they were double-knotted. I got on the surfboard, and I mean, I was tearing it up. And everyone on the shore was impressed. And so anyway, I started going over some of my own wakes, and then I got tossed off the board. When I got tossed off the board, I thought to myself, no problem. No problem. There's a fin on the board, and it does circles. It'll come right back to me. So just relax, tread water, wait for the board. Well, one thing that was happening was these high-top tennis shoes. They started filling up with water. It was hard to tread water in those high-top tennis shoes. So I go underneath the water, and I'm trying to get the knots out. Have you ever tried to get wet knots out? And they were double-knotted. And so anyway, I'm yanking, I'm pulling, and they were not coming off. And I had just bought these. I did not want to lose them to the lake. And so anyway, I yell back to the shore, hey guys, get the boat out here. I'm serious. Go under once. Go under twice. And I start thinking, I'm hearing them crank up the boat. They're far from me. I'm in the middle of the lake. And I start to think, I could die. I could die today. And so I went under a third time. And I heard that, you know, after the third time, you're going to drown. It's over. And so anyway, I come up for that fourth time. And I just barely get my mouth above the waves. And I got another breath of air that fourth time. And I could hear in the distance the paddle boats, people in paddle boats coming after me. Chuck, 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 chuck. I could hear that there was no boat coming to get me. They were cranking it before I started going under. They couldn't get it to start. And I thought, this is it. I started praying. Lord, didn't think that I was going to meet you today, but I'm ready. Chuck, 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 chuck. Here and it come. I tried to come up for that fifth breath of air in nothing but water. Drank half the lake. I'm coughing underwater. I feel like I'm going to pass out underwater. I had no air. And I just started praying. And I'm like, Lord, I'm ready to meet you. I didn't think it was going to be today, but I'm ready. Thank you for what you've done on the cross, that you provided salvation for me. I had so much I'd planned to do. And I started telling them that I was sorry. Chuck, 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 chuck. Then, out of nowhere, I had curly hair back then. I know. <laughs> This guy grabs me by my curly sort of fro, because uh, I had a perm in it too. He grabbed it and pulled me out of the water. And I was so thankful that I had a life to live. You see, you're not ready to die if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. That day, I was ready to die I was so glad that I didn't. 
And so today, if you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, I'm begging you, stop putting it off. Today, I'm gonna ask you to humbly come to the altars and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to tell him that you want him to be the boss of your life. I want you to pray to ask Jesus to open your eyes to who he really is. No matter where, you're in, where you are in your walk today, I want to invite you to come down to the altar. I want you to place your life in the offering plate, to put your life in his hands, to humble yourself. And if you've stepped out of the plate, today I'm going to ask you to repent. Teachers, administrators, students, this week school starts. We've been talking about being on mission. We say being on mission is where you work, where you live, where you play. For you students, where you work is at school. The hope of this community is not our incredible church, as much as I love it. The hope of this community is Jesus inside of you. The way we're going to reach the soccer team is not through our youth group. It's through you two boys right there. The hope of that soccer team is Jesus inside of you. The hope of this community is every one of you. Are you in the plate? Are you living on your own? I'm going to ask you in just a few seconds. I'm pleading with you. Don't waste your life. Will you pray with me? Father, Lord, I am so thankful for your word, for your example, for your incredible patience with me, how you've loved me, how you've given me chance after chance, even when I've gotten out of the plate, you give me another opportunity. Lord, I pray for every student, I pray for every teacher, every administrator, that this year school would not be like every other year. I pray that you would use them in a mighty, mighty way. Lord, I pray if there's one person in here who doesn't know you as Savior, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would just be pounding on their heart until they, until they let go and they finally say yes to you. Lord, as we open these altars, Lord, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will have free reign and that we will respond to you. Lord, use us like you've never used us before. For the people in this audience that are older, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would let them finish their course well, that they will realize that it is not over, that you have a lot of things that you want to do in and through them. Lord, I pray, Lord, as we open these altars, Lord, people will have the courage to step forward. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand with me?
And as we sing this song today, I'm going to invite you to come to the altar. I'll be one of the first people at the altar. If you need me to pray with you, I'd love to do that. But right now, at this time, let's make this our response to the Lord.